I would say a beautiful thing about direct primary care is it allows you as the physician to make these decisions for yourself and to decide how you would like to help your community. What is most meaningful to you? Family medicine. It's the foundation of the healthcare system as we know it. But the system itself is in bad health. It needs to be changed from the bottom up. This podcast is dedicated to restoring you and your profession to the proper role, enjoying being a physician, serving your patients at the highest possible level, and doing it with direct primary care. This is Nurturing the Heart of the Family Practice with Gail Brecky. As you're starting to learn more about direct primary care and starting to think about how this model would actually work and how it actually looks in various communities and for various patients, you might be thinking it can't possibly be a solution for the most vulnerable patients, the sickest patients, low-income patients, uninsured patients. Today, we are going to address these questions and more. Welcome to the podcast. This is Gail Brecky, and this is Nurturing the Heart of Family Practice. I want to start today with some quotes from a survey that I conducted in 2017 of patients of direct primary care practices. These practices were the type of practice that focuses primarily on individuals and families with maybe a smattering of employees of small mom and pop businesses in the community. So one of the first things I want to share with you today is some of the comments that patients put in the survey when they were asked why they chose the direct primary care practice. I want to draw your attention to typical responses of uninsured patients, as well as patients that have group coverage. So it's most likely an employer coverage but they also have direct primary care. So a lot of those patients will be paying for direct primary care themselves, even though they have group coverage as well. So the uninsured patients sound like, I was frustrated with the quality of care I was receiving for my chronic illness and the rates of monitoring my illness were cheaper than through my insurance at the time. Another patient said, because I'm relatively healthy and paying a ton for traditional insurance makes no sense for me. Some examples of quotes from patients that have group coverage, but also have direct primary care. Wanting a physician who would take ownership of my health care and manage my fibromyalgia without sending me to multiple specialists. So thankful for DPC. I no longer feel lost in the system. And one more quote from a DPC patient who has group coverage. To have access to a practice that engages with patients on a deeper level through more time spent in each appointment and the doctors being more readily available and responsive. Also, the doctors are respectful to my concerns as well as supportive of my desire to minimize medications. All of those quotes are examples of patients who value direct primary care. And I think that's one of the messages of today's episode is there is definitely a need that is being filled by direct primary care. There are patients that are poorly served in the system or who've been so frustrated or unable to find a primary care doctor that they like and that they have 
relatively decent access to, that they are searching for something better, searching for something where they feel like they're getting the care that they need and that they deserve. This gives us some sense of who the patients of direct primary care are. Another thing that connects in with this topic is that this sort of a model gives the physician complete autonomy in terms of not only taking care of patients, but how they want to set up their business, who they're most interested in caring for. There are certainly direct primary care doctors that focus on keeping their fees as low as possible because it's really valuable to them personally and meaningful to them personally to be able to take the best care of the lower income part of their community as possible. Um, So there are doctors that talk about how to find the least expensive office equipment and how to think about setting up your practice and setting up your exam room and all of that in terms of the mindset and the priority of keeping your fees as low as possible. That's one thing about direct primary care is if you are concerned about the low income folks in your community or a certain segment of the population, you can focus there. You can really be creative and have have that kind of entrepreneurial spirit where you're you're designing it in a certain way to satisfy or to appeal to a certain part of the population, a certain type of patient. I want to point out an article by Emily Silverman. I will have the link in the show notes. And this is probably the best direct primary care article I have ever read. She just does a fantastic job of describing from the perspective of a primary care physician, what she has learned about direct primary care. And she covers really all the bases in terms of all of the various issues about the model. And certainly the burnout and the frustration and all of that is what initially motivated her to go to the direct primary care summit which is how she outlines this article. But she does a very good job of being very thorough. And one of the things she talks about in the article, which I I strongly urge you to read the entire thing, um, but she talks about a particular practice and a couple of doctors in particular that were very interested in helping the underserved community in their part of Wichita, Kansas. These were two young doctors that had just completed residency. One was working at an FQHC and was very disappointed when the facility decided they could no longer provide obstetric care because they couldn't figure out how to bill for it without losing money. And so that caused this doctor to start to look at other options. And he he found a classmate from med school and they decided to open up a DPC clinic in a neighborhood that they described as a health desert. This is quoting from the article. We opened our doors in July 2016 and thought maybe we would grow by 15 to 20 patients a month. But in the first month, we had 47. And six months in, we have around 300. It was crazy. And it goes on to talk about how they managed to gain admitting privileges at a local hospital so that they can provide excellent cradle-to-grave care for this underserved population in their community. Again, it highlights how direct primary care allows the physician to be innovative and to find ways to solve problems for their patients. I've had other direct primary care doctors 
talked to me as well about their surprise when they chose to switch over their practice to direct primary care and they communicated with their current patients in the system that they were going to be doing this and, you know, encourage patients to follow them into direct primary care. What they were surprised about was the patients who followed them were the lower income patients, the patients who were sicker, the patients who were more vulnerable, who were more in those underserved type of populations. It's really sort of interesting that sometimes as researchers or sometimes just reading the medical literature and kind of paying attention to healthcare in this country, we think the lower income folks are just unable to make good decisions that we kind of tend to think of them as being monolithic and, oh, all of the uninsured, you know, need extra help and all of those sorts of things. But I think these kinds of conversations that I've had with doctors and doing surveys and reading more and learning more about the realities of direct primary care, I think we learn that it appeals to all sorts of people on this issue of helping the most vulnerable patients. I would say it's typical from from doctors that I've talked to and things that I've read, it's typical for a direct primary care practice to offer scholarships to people in their community that just can't afford even their modest fees or maybe have had a bad string of luck, losing a job, something like that. It's not unusual for DPC practices to have 10% of their patient panel on scholarship, getting care for free. And I would say a beautiful thing about direct primary care is it allows you as the physician to make these decisions for yourself and to decide how you would like to help your community. What is most meaningful to you? Let's pause here for a moment. If patients are seeking an option like direct primary care that allows them to partner with a doctor, to have access to a doctor that they can build a relationship with, who will listen to them and be available to take care of them, If you are worried about vulnerable patients or patients in underserved communities or patients with chronic conditions and difficult situations that they are are trying to get through, and DPC offers you a way to focus in on these patients and to help them and to really make a difference for them, but at the same time is a way for you to be in charge of your own practice and still make a nice living and do the kind of care, be the doctor you always wanted to be and that you dreamed of being when you went to medical school. If all of that is available to you, I have to ask, why aren't you doing it? What is stopping you? Okay, let's get a little bit more into this survey. So I surveyed the patients of five direct primary care practices in Kansas I gathered information about demographics, health status, income level versus federal poverty level, and also did the freeform question about why they chose a direct primary care practice. And I also asked about what other type of coverage they had. I compared to similar patients from a national sample of the medical expenditure panel survey. And the comparison group is respondents ages 18 to 64 in the Midwest who have a primary care, usual source of care. And this is what I was able to do to make the two data sets, the DPC patients and the patients from the general population as comparable as possible. The comparisons were ages 18 to 64 because I surveyed adults And I had very few responses from DPC patients 
65 years of age and older. And so that's a good place for me to talk just a little bit about Medicare beneficiaries. And I think sometimes we worry that DPC is just a terrible idea and Medicare beneficiaries will end up being harmed. A number of things I'd like to offer for you to think about maybe slightly differently. First of all, Medicare patients, just like everyone else, they're not monolithic. Many older people can afford the modest DPC fees and value direct primary care. I interviewed an elderly patient one time and he told me he was absolutely thrilled with direct primary care. He could not say enough good things about his doctor and how much he loved it. And one thing that was really poignant that he said was he feels like he's his only patient. He communicates frequently over email with his doctor and the doctor is very responsive and he feels like he's getting such great value for the money that he does spend on direct primary care fees. And it's also true that we need to think about direct primary care. This is a bottom-up change. So I'm not suggesting in one fell swoop that every family doc, every med peds, internal medicine doctor, that every primary care physician will switch to direct primary care. It's happening one by one. It's an individual doctor decision. And so it doesn't happen in one fell swoop in a town or a community. It's not as if somebody is coming down and making a pronouncement of you must all be direct primary care. Doctors won't all switch at once and some won't ever switch. It's not necessarily a fit for every single person, every single physician. And so patients, elderly patients who don't want direct primary care will have other options. There will be other providers. There will be other facilities to care for them. And in addition, there are folks who are working on ways to coordinate with Medicare or ways to have programs that can help seniors that can work more closely with Medicare. I think this is an area where there's a lot of potential for innovation, whether it's at the state level or or how it works, whether it's special programs that Medicare could try. There are a lot of opportunities, I think, to help this population and get them direct care while still realizing and coordinating and, and working with the fact that they also have they also have Medicare. So let's talk about the survey results. Again, I surveyed direct primary care patients and I'm comparing them to medical expenditure panel survey patients that are comparable. The first thing that we notice is that in terms of age, sex, and race ethnicity, they're very, very similar. So I think the takeaway from that is that direct primary care patient panels are just as varied as the general population. There might be a slight difference in terms of highest education level completed. It looked like direct primary care patients were more likely to be in the highest category four-year degree or greater versus the comparison population. So health status was also very similar. The instrument that I used looked at physical and mental health status separately, and I looked at these by age bands because, of course, health status declines as we age. So by age band, they're very similar between direct primary care and the comparison population. With one possible exception, it looks like the youngest age band, age 18 to 24, for direct primary care might have a lower health status, less mentally healthy than the comparison population of the same age. And that might be an interesting place to do additional research. 
From an income level, I looked at it in terms of comparing to federal poverty level, which is the typical way we look at this. The highest income band in my data was above 400% of FPL. The direct primary care population was less likely to be in the highest income band. And it looks like a notable difference. I had 44% in the highest income band for the DPC respondents. And of the comparison population, 58% are in the highest income band. This notable difference seems to indicate that DPC does not attract just healthy and wealthy patients. The last item from the survey is coverage type. I asked respondents to indicate what other kinds of coverage they have. For both the direct primary care patients and the comparison patients, the most common response was group insurance. About three-fourths of the comparison patients had group insurance, where less than 40% of the DPC patients had group insurance. There were also some differences in individual insurance and Medicaid and S-CHIP. The most striking difference is that the DPC respondents were much more likely to have either a health sharing ministry only, so no other kind of coverage besides a health share, or be uninsured. Together, these added up to more than 40% of the DPC respondents. In the comparison data, it corresponds to 5%. In the medical expenditure panel survey, which is the comparison data, it did not even offer a choice of a health share. So we have in the DPC data, more than 40% are either uninsured or only have a health share. And this corresponds to 5% in the comparison data. And of course, this is a reflection of who is attracted to direct primary care, who is seeking out something better because they don't have good options before them or options that are acceptable to them or affordable. This is an important finding. I wouldn't say it's necessarily surprising because DPC is filling a need that the so-called healthcare system is not fulfilling. Please do check out Emily Silverman's wonderful article about her experience in learning about direct primary care and talking to direct primary care doctors. Do let me know what you thought about the survey results and the quotes I read to you and the article that I pointed you to. Thank you for listening. Have a great day and we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Nurturing the Heart of the Family Practice podcast. Our journey is just beginning. If you would like to connect with Gail Brecky and receive our Primary Care Mindset newsletter, send an email to hello at primarycaremindset.com. And be sure to follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time on the Nurturing the Heart of the Family Practice podcast, changing healthcare from the bottom up.